Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. 27 years ago this November. That's right. So my wife and I actually just saw that video first time in years. You know what Krista said? You sound country. (laughs) All right, so admittedly, I am a little country, all right? But I think I've been up all day and all night, and I was just slurring my speech, to be honest with you, okay? So there we were. I had missed a due date. I had missed one of the most important dates. I was not there for that moment that my daughter entered into the world. I had missed the page. I got back to my car and there was like a dozen pages over and over again, about two o'clock in the morning. Some of you going, what is a pager anyway? (laughs) Would somebody please tell me? So just for those who don't know, all right, pagers actually predated cell phones. Yeah, we're going back to the olden days, the 1990s. You'd wear this little pager on your belt, and when somebody needed to get a hold of you, they would call your pager. You would look down. You'd see the number that you were then supposed to call. That was a pager. For those that don't know what it sounds like, it sounds something like that. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. I like you guys. I'll, I'll stop it right there. Yes, I'll, it's annoying. It's meant to be annoying. It's meant to get your attention. But I wasn't paying attention. I was preoccupied. I'd missed one of the most important dates of my life. Now, this is what I want you to know. Listen very, very carefully. There is another due date on the way. There is a date Jesus is coming again. And you know what Jesus described in Matthew 24 leading up to that day, that due date, he described the days leading up to that day will be like a woman going through birth pangs. In the same way that a woman that is pregnant with a baby, that water breaks, and then that first initial contraction, and that first birth pang, and then it leads up to more and more intensity, and it leads up with more and more pain, and then finally that pain gives way to this glorious prize. I want you to know, that's what Jesus described in these last days, and I'm personally convinced, church, we are living close enough to the second coming, that due date, that we're even now experiencing the birth pangs. And that means we need to be ready, and this is the very thing that Paul now writes about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You have a copy of God's Word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're studying line by line, verse by verse, through this ancient letter from the Apostle Paul to this ancient church of Thessalonica. And they have asked him some questions. He's now writing the letter, answering some of those questions as it relates to what to look for in those days leading up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, and we're going to see that Thessalonians had this irresistible readiness. They were living with great anticipation. They were living with great expectation that led to this great preparation. They had this irresistible reputation, and that's why we're studying the church at Thessalonica. This is like the model church in many ways. They they had this irresistible influence. They influenced far beyond their region, and we've seen how they had this irresistible faith, this irresistible hope, this irresistible love 
love in chapter one. We saw this uh, church of irresistible life change that God had redeemed them from pagan idolatry to turn the true and living God who is holy. They had this irresistible authenticity. And now we're gonna see that they were irresistibly ready. They were living with great anticipation knowing there was a due date on the way. They were also living at a time of tribulation. And they're asking this question, how do we live at such a time as this? And I'm convinced this ancient letter has never been more relevant for our time. Now you're gonna see a phrase here in chapter five, the day of the Lord. You need to know what is the day of the Lord. That phrase, day of the Lord, is found 31 times throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. The day of the Lord is a reference to the second coming of Christ, and it begins when Jesus returns for his bride, the church. And we saw last week in chapter four, as Paul penned those words in the last part of chapter four, it speaks specifically of Jesus, who the Bible calls the bridegroom, one day returning for the church, that's you and I, the bride of Christ. And it's the rapture is what we commonly call it. The day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church. Now, I don't think of a single day when you see that phrase. The day of the Lord is a series of days. In fact, it's many, many days. It's a series of events. And Jesus described it as a woman in travail, a woman with birth pangs. And we're going to see Paul picks up on that imagery in this very lesson, in this very place of 1 Thessalonians 5. Like the days leading up to it is like this woman in travail, the birth pangs coming faster and faster with more and more intensity, finally giving way to the second coming of Christ. And the next prophetic event then on God's timeline of prophetic events is the rapture of the church. We saw last time 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be forevermore with the Lord. It's one of the fundamental tenets of Christian faith. Jesus is coming again. And this is one of the predominant themes of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, that one day God's Savior King is going to establish a kingdom that will be without end. There will be no more suffering because there will be no more sin. And it begins with the day of the Lord. And this is what Jesus promised the night before he was crucified. He made this promise himself. I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself to where I am, there you may be also. Now listen, that's good news if you know him. That is bad news if you don't. No, the day of the Lord is going to be full of bad news. <laughs> the, the day of the Lord is about the wrath of God, the judgment of God poured out upon the sinful, rebellious nations. And I want you to see that that is why Paul now writes that we should be ready. We should be living with anticipation. We should be living with expectation. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, if you're ready for this, say Maranatha. That was an early Christian greeting of the early church. Maranatha, it's actually an Aramaic term. It means the Lord comes. And the early Christians would greet each other. They wouldn't say hello. They didn't necessarily say shalom. No, eventually what they would say is maranatha. They would comfort each other in hard, hard times by reminding each other that the Lord is coming. If you're ready for this today, everybody say maranatha. 
the Lord comes. That's what Paul is teaching today. Maranatha, the Lord comes, chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. He's telling the Thessalonians, look, I've already shared this with you. When I was with you, I taught this to you. You don't need me to say anything more about this. Now look at what he says. For you yourselves know perfectly, here it is, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Hey, in the same way my daughter, McKay, she came as a thief in the night. <laughs> Meaning, ready or not, here I come. All right, she came four weeks earlier in the same way some of you mamas have had a due date before you deliver. That due date is not a guarantee. It is the exact date. It just gives you the times and the seasons to be ready, yes? My daughter came four weeks early. She didn't come on the due date. No, she came as a thief in the night. Ready or not, here I come. There's coming a day that Jesus is going to say, ready or not, here I come. There is a due date, and you're not going to know the exact date, but I'm telling you the times and the seasons so that you can be ready, because I'm coming as a, a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, here it is, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. What happens? The water breaks, and the labor pains begin, and there is no stopping that baby from coming. He's saying in the same way, there's coming a day that they will say peace and safety. Those that are outside of Christ that don't know Jesus, they're gonna think everything is A-okay. We got this. And all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, sudden destruction. The day of the Lord is here. And that's bad news if you don't know Jesus, but it's good news as a child of God. But you, brethren, as a child of God, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. See, what he's saying is though we don't know the day or the hour, that exact due date, we do know that because we're not in darkness, we're children of the light, we're not of the night, we don't have to be overtaken. We can be ready, we can be watching, we can be fully alert because we know, as Paul said, we're in the times and the seasons. Now, how do we know we're in the times and the seasons? We know that we can be ready for that due date, for the day of the Lord, because we're living in the times and seasons of Christ's second coming. Now, the early Christians thought Jesus would come in their lifetime. Prophetically and biblically, there's no reason he could not. So the prophecies related to the second coming of the Messiah primarily have to do with the people being in the place, with the Jews being in the promised land. A lot of people think, well, he couldn't have come in their lifetime. The prophecies hadn't been fulfilled, but that's not true. Think about it. It's 51 AD as Paul is writing this lesson. The Jews are still in the land. The people are still in the place. Biblically, they had every reason to believe Jesus might come again to establish his kingdom in their lifetime. Now, what happens? 135 AD, the Romans drive the Jews out of the land. And since 135 AD, they were not in the land. The people were not in the place. Biblically and prophetically, Jesus could not come when the Jews, the people, were not in the place. Now, I want you to understand why we can say today we are in the times and the seasons of the second coming because we have seen biblical prophecy fulfilled just in the last century related to Christ's second coming. And I'm telling you, biblically, prophetically, it could not have happened simply randomly. Nobody just could get this lucky. It could have only happened providentially. So one of the prophecies related to the second coming of Christ had to do with the Jews being in the land. Now, to understand prophecy, you 
you got to know a little history. A lot of people don't understand anything about history, so they don't understand at all biblical prophecy. All right, one of the prophecies related to Ezekiel, the Hebrew prophet, who wrote from Babylon over 500 years B.C., that because the Jews' rebellion against God, God was eventually going to scatter them among the nations. You can read this in the book of Ezekiel. But Ezekiel also promised that one day, because of God's covenant with them, he'd bring the Jews back together again, back in the promised land. Now, I want you to see how God had rigged all these prophecies that had Jesus been received by the Jews at his first coming, he never would have ascended back into heaven. He would have stayed right here on earth and established his kingdom. You know why? Because God had made good on that promise written 500 years B.C. God had scattered the Jews because of the rebellion among the nations, 722 B.C., with the Assyrian invasion, carried off the 10 northern tribes, and then the two southern tribes were carried off by the Babylonians in 605 B.C. God had scattered them because of their rebellion, but in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah with the Persian king Artaxerxes, guess what happened? God began to regather them so that by the time of Christ in the first century, the Jews, in fact, were back in the land. That prophecy was fulfilled. But listen carefully. With most biblical prophecy, you've got a historical partial fulfillment that is only a shadow pointing to the future and final fulfillment. What happens? The Jews at the time of Christ reject their Messiah. They crucify him. So Ezekiel's prophecy kicks in. God scatters them again among the nations. 135 AD, the Romans drive out the Jews from the promised land, and legally they cannot return for centuries. In fact, they change the name from Israel to Palestine for the ancient land of the Philistines. And for century after century after century, the Jews were not in the land. The people were not in the place. Jesus could not come as the Jewish Messiah to establish his kingdom. This is why we can say emphatically, we are in that time and season. We are in that generation of Christians for the first time in hundreds of years that could see the second coming of Christ. Because the regathering happened in 1917, Ezekiel's prophecy fulfilled with the Balfour Declaration at the end of World War I, what happened? The British army met the Ottoman army in a valley, not so coincidentally, the Valley of Armageddon. Yeah, I know, just completely coincidence. For 500 years, the Holy Land was held by the Ottoman Turks. They meet in battle in the Valley of Armageddon with the British Army. The British Army defeats the Ottoman Army. And for the first time, the Holy Land, the ancient land of Israel, is passed back to British control. Lord Balfour, the foreign secretary, signs the Balfour Declaration. And for the first time since 135 AD, Jews are allowed to go back to the land of their forefathers. And they have been coming back for the last century by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions. Since the 1990s, one million Russian Jews have immigrated to Israel, a super sign that we are living in the times and seasons of the second coming. The Jews are back in the land. Now listen, we're not done. There's another super sign from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself talking about the second coming, talking about signs to look for. He talked about the parable of the fig tree. Matthew chapter 24, the fig tree is a symbol of the national life of Israel because they were rejecting him. Remember what Jesus does? He curses the fig tree. It immediately goes dormant. It appears to die. But then he said, watch for the parable of the fig tree. There's a sign. When you see the fig tree, put back on leaves, and it comes back to life, you'll know 
that the days shortly are upon us for the second coming. In fact, he said, this generation shall not pass away till all these signs be revealed. What happened? In the World War I, the people are back in the land, and then in World War II, the people become a nation again. 1948, Israel is reborn as a nation miraculously, and I'm trying to tell you today that is a super sign prophetically that we are living in the times and seasons of the second coming. The fig tree has come back to life, and it has put on leaves. We better be ready, church. We better be ready, but we're still not done. There's one more super sign. From the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself, Luke 21, 24, here was the prophecy Jesus gave us to look for. He said, Jerusalem be trampled underfoot by Gentiles, that's non-Jews, till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Remember what Paul said? Look for the times and seasons. We're currently in a time known as the times of the Gentiles, but Jesus said, you'll know the times of the Gentiles is coming to an end when you have Jerusalem that's no longer under Gentile control. You see, 1917, the people are back in the land. 1948, the Jews are reborn as a nation, but they still don't have control of Jerusalem. They were driven out in 70 AD by the Roman general. Titus, and since 70 AD, the Jews have not been in Jerusalem. That is until the end of the Six Days War, 1967. For the first time since 70 AD, at the end of the Six Days War, June 1967, the Jews roll back into Jerusalem and take control of the holy city. That is the last sign and a super sign that we are in the end times that Jesus could come again. And every single day since that day in 1967, we're on borrowed time. One more day of grace because that was the last thing that had to happen prophetically and biblically before Jesus comes again. You see, what Paul is saying is we need to be ready. As the bride of Christ, we should be ready. We should be living with expectation. We should be living with anticipation. And if we have expectation and anticipation, we're gonna be a church of preparation. You're gonna be a Christian of preparation. You're gonna be ready to see him. He goes on, Paul writes this in verse five, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. What Paul is saying is that as a child of God, you need to be fully awake, fully alert. You need to have a laser focus in the same way, look, if you're asleep at night, you have no idea what's going on around you. And what he's saying is, for a lot of us, we've been sleeping spiritually. We're in the dark. You ever try to get around in the dark when you have no light? You stumble around, you bump into things, you don't know where you're going, you can't get your orientation, you're, you can walk in circles. This is what he's saying, that most people you know are in the dark. They have no idea what's going on in the world. Listen carefully. Some people are not just literally, but metaphorically drunk. Paul is saying in the same way, when you get intoxicated with liquor, you no longer have control of all of your senses. You are inebriated, and you're not in complete control. What he's saying is, we need to be fully awake and fully alert 
You need to have a laser focus to understand what is going on in our times to see in these times we live in this age of darkness, but we're not of the dark, we're of the light, we're not of the night, we're children of the living God. So this day does not have to overtake you so that you can be ready. My wife was ready, you know why? Even though she was four weeks away from the due date, she knew that McKay could still come at any time. Ready or not, here I come. What's what Paul is saying? We need to be ready. We don't know the exact day. Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour. I come as a thief in the night. But we know we're living in the season of the second coming. You see, we must be ready. So are you ready to see him? Maranatha. Are you ready to see him? See, it matters not really in the end whether he comes for you or you go to him. The simple reality is one day very, very soon, you are going to see him. And we need to live every day in view of that destination. We need to make every decision in view of that destination. I am ready to see him. Church, I think I'm going to live into my old age, but I don't know that I'm going to live into my old age. The reality is I need to live every single day like today is the day I'm going to see him. Don't delay. And that's what Paul is now writing to the Thessalonians. You need to be ready. Uh, let me think about three ways that we need to prepare ourselves. Three ways that we need to ready ourselves. You must be ready spiritually. You must ready yourself spiritually. The entire world is focused on the temporal. The entire world is focused on the material. The entire world is focused on the physical. We need to be focused on the eternal. We need to focus on the spiritual. You have a set of eyes with which you can see physically, but as a child of God, you have a spiritual set of eyes so that you can see spiritually. You can see what's going on behind behind the scenes, and you better believe, we live in a realm that is seen, and a realm that is not seen, and the realm that is not seen is currently pulling the strings of the realm you can see. You need to be ready spiritually. This is what Paul would say to the Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 14, therefore he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There is a sleeping, slumbering church in America. It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for Christians to wake up. Listen, I'm not trying to sing you a lullaby on Sunday morning just to rock you to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm trying to tell you, you need to wake up because the time is short. That's what Paul is saying. Awake you who sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He says these words. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Ready yourself spiritually, he says, to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means I am surrendering control to the Spirit of God in me and to the world around me. I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. I'm going to be more influenced by the Spirit of God in me than the world around me. To be filled with the Spirit has to do with control. What will control you? The world wants to control you. As a child of God that's received the Son of God, you also now have the Spirit of God. Will the Spirit of God control you? You know what Paul's saying? Be wise, don't be unwise. Can I just put it this way? Every decision must become a spiritual decision. Stop making stupid decisions. That's the PIV, Phil's international version. 
Some of you reading the NIV, I got the PIV, all right? That's Phil's prayer. Stop being dumb. Quit making dumb decisions. You have the spirit of God in you, the spirit of wisdom. Every single decision must be a spiritual decision. Stop making sinful decisions. Stop making stupid decisions. Make wise decisions because every decision must become a God decision. Redeem the time. Prepare yourself spiritually because this world is passing away and everything in it. We need to ready ourselves spiritually. We need to ready ourselves practically. Practically. There's always God's part, there's your part. If you live with expectation and you're living with anticipation, it'll also lead to preparation. We need to prepare practically for the days ahead. If I'm right about this, and we are living already in the early stages of those birth pangs, those birth pains Jesus talked about, and Paul picks up then in this passage calling this, uh, you know, the, this time of a pregnant woman that is in birth pains, and, and that's the events that we see cataclysmically, you know, from one thing to the next, and then the next. Listen carefully, we need to practically prepare ourselves. Some people say, well, that doesn't mean we have faith in God. Of course it does. Listen, when I, when I get in my car and I'm going to take a drive down the interstate at like, you know, 105 miles an hour. I'm kidding about that. At 55 miles an hour. I fully believe God can protect me if I get in an accident, in a collision, that I have God's protection. But I still put on my seatbelt. I still prepare. He gave me a brain for a reason. Listen, when I did used to hit the streets back in the 1990s as law enforcement, I fully believed God would protect me in a worst case scenario, in a life and death situation. I had full trust that God would protect me, but I never one time hit the streets without my bulletproof vest. I was still prepared. See, there's, there's your part and there's still God's part. And you can't ask God to do his part if you're not willing to do your part. We need to prepare practically. It's all over the scriptures, especially Proverbs. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. What he's saying is you know how to prepare for winter while it's yet spring and summer. You don't wait for winter time to figure out what you're going to do. You prepare ahead of time. The reason why my wife knew what to do is she was prepared. We had actually prepared for a worst-case scenario. All right, what if you're not here? What if you get called out on an Op 100? That's exactly what happened. Didn't think it would happen, but that's exactly what happened. We had a plan, and she put that plan in motion. Because of the anticipation, we had done the preparation, and she called my mom and dad who came over, picked her up, and our little son who was a toddler at the time, our firstborn, and where I would have normally been the one taking them to the hospital. We were prepared. We had a plan. It was my mom and dad that took her that day when McKay said, ready or not, here I come. See, it's always preparing for what's next. A church, this is what it says. Don't wait for winter to figure out what you're going to do. You sow in the summer. I'm not trying to scare us. God doesn't tell us this to scare us. He tells us this to prepare us. <clears throat> we have nothing to fear. We should live fearless. But we should prepare. Because I'm convinced there is a metaphorical winter that is coming. Most of us are not ready. 
If we live in these days shortly before the second coming, we can anticipate it. I'm fully convinced after many years of study that the church does not go through the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation prophesied right before the second coming of Christ. But just because the church doesn't go through the tribulation doesn't mean the church can't go through any tribulation. Paul is writing these early Christians to say, no, you're not going through the tribulation. God will protect you through the day of the Lord. But listen carefully, they were going through intense persecution, intense trial, intense hardship, and there's nothing that says we can't do as, as Christians. So I don't know how to put handles on this for you. You gotta figure this out for yourself, but you need to prepare. Because this generation is the least prepared, maybe of every generation that's gone before us. My grandpa was a man I knew well. He told me many stories of the Great Depression. We've had one Great Depression, economic depression. Nothing says we can't have another one. We live at a time where the world economy is fragile as fine china. It is a house of cards. We live in a nation that's $32 trillion in debt and still spending like there's no payday. Not trying to scare you, I wanna prepare you. And the thing about my granddad's generation is they were fully self-sufficient. Like if my grandpa didn't grow it, catch it or shoot it, he didn't need it. They were self-sufficient. They grew it, they caught it, or they shot it, or they didn't eat it. They had a house, they, they burned wood. That's all they needed, some firewood. They could make it through the winter. My granddad told me that the only time he ever worried about money in his whole life was during the Great Depression, 1930s. He wasn't sure how he was gonna make it through the winter. I think he was running out of money. He goes outside that same day, shoots two skunks, skins the fur, sells the fur, gets a $20 gold piece. Got him through the winter. Try doing that today. Somebody try to arrest you. See, those were different times. We live in times now that we're completely dependent on other people from an electrical grid that's no longer dependable. I mean, the entire state of Texas, electrical grid goes out two winters ago and the entire state of Texas is frozen. I'm trying to tell you, we live in more and more instability from a global pandemic, broken supply lines. I mean, think about all the things. At some point, you're used to going to the grocery store and you can buy and when you showed up, it just wasn't there. I mean, you remember the story about 18 months ago of all these nursing mothers in America that show up for baby formula and there is none. And you remember right after the pandemic began, I mean, forget trying to buy toilet paper. <laughs> I remember watching somebody walk out of Aldi's and their cart was six feet high with nothing but toilet paper. And you know who you are. <laughs> so I'm not trying to put handles on this for you. You gotta answer some of these questions for yourself. But what I'm trying to tell you is you need to be prepared. I'm not saying be a prepper in the two cents of the word, because you can't prep for everything. It's impossible. But you need to have some provisions on hand, some extra provisions on hand, a little bit of extra, and not just kind of live week to week and hope for the best, because we live in unstable times, and they're only going to get more unstable. You need to prepare practically. You need to be ready in biblical community. This has never been more important than it is today. 
Not my words, the words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day's in view? The day of the Lord is what he's talking about. What he's saying is, as we get closer and closer to that due date, you need to be in church more, not less. It's more important than it used to be, not less important. And listen very carefully. You can come to Lee Summit Campus and sit in this auditorium with a couple of thousand other people and still not be in community. You can come and go still in anonymity. You can be in a church house somewhere in America sitting with 30, 40 other people and still be in anonymity. I mean, building true community, which means there are people in my life that I am interdependent on. They're my two o'clock in the morning kind of friends and family. See, the reason Krista had a plan, she knew what to do when McKay said, right or not, here I come, is because we had community, we had family, we had people we could turn to. Do you know the church is meant to be like that for you? It's meant to be an extension of your family. Who's your two o'clock in the morning kind of people? That's what we need, whether it's a church house in America or somewhere in the city where you worship on campus in one of our campuses. Do you have a group? Do you have people you can turn to? You know what he says? You need it more, not less, as we see the day approaching. But not only do we need to be ready, we need to be radiant. This is a bride that is radiant. It's not just ready, it is radiant. And I'm telling you that because, you know, all of this could make us begin to turn in instead of turning out. You know, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take the electric blanket and bury my head underneath it and wait for Jesus to come back. No, that is not what God has called us to do. And it's kind of that Christian compound mentality. Well, we live in difficult days, and the days out there are dark and scary, so we're just going to kind of build this Christian compound mentality and keep my inner circle really small. And I want you to see that this bride is called to be a faithful bride and a fruitful bride. We're not to turn in. We're also to be turning out. We're to shine as lights in the night, shining with the love of God and the light of God in this hopeless, dark world. That's why God's put us here. That's why Paul goes on. He says in verse eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. I want you to notice, I love this bride. You know why? Because she is dressed for battle. She's a bad mama. This bride is dressed for battle. The breastplate, the helmet, Paul's using the imagery here of a Roman soldier's armor. The breastplate of a Roman soldier was to guard the heart. The helmet was to guard the head. The message ought to be clear. We need to guard our heads and our hearts in these difficult, dangerous days. These days of deception, these days of distortion. The breastplate would guard the heart. That has to do with your emotions. The helmet would guard the head. That has to do with your thoughts. You need to guard your thoughts and you need to guard your emotions. Because if you don't, it looks hopeless. Wickedness seems to be retreating, or wickedness seems to be winning, and righteousness is retreating, and it, it doesn't feel like God is there. Maybe I'm trying to tell you that's part of the strategy of the enemy, to leave you hopeless and in despair. And Paul says, no, don't be led by your feelings. Your feelings are a barometer. Your feelings are a diagnostic, but your feelings can often be wrong. Guard your heart, guard your head. 
put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope for salvation. We should be dressed for battle with faith, hope, and love. And we go right back to these three things in chapter five that we were introduced to in chapter one. They had this irresistible faith, this irresistible hope, this irresistible love. This was a church that stood for truth, but they were known for love and they were the voice of hope. And that ought to be what we are in these last days. In a world that is hopeless, in a world that feels like it's in despair, listen, we are not without hope because Jesus is alive. (laughs) He's rose from the dead, and he's promised to one day return, and paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You better believe the same one that came out of the grave is coming back again. Maranatha, the Lord comes faith, hope, and love. The world puts their hope in the the world. Faith in the world. You know why the world is so hopeless? Because the average person you know puts their faith in the world. Really, think about this. It ain't the Baptist preacher talking about, you know, the apocalypse. The people who don't even believe in God. I'm talking people that are far from God, that don't even acknowledge God. Just listen to them. We're all going to die by the end of the century. I mean, this global climate crisis, we're all going to fry up or drown. Really? You talk about apocalyptic, I mean, honestly. And they put their hope in themselves, like we're gonna figure our way out of this. Like we're smart enough, we can do this, if we all just come together, like if we eliminate half of the dairy cows and half of the beef cows in the next 30 years, we will finally save the ozone. I'm not making this up. This is what people are doing. Netherlands, Ireland, They're trying to eliminate half the cows in the next 30 years because everybody knows what happens when a cow belches. (laughs) We're burning up the ozone. Are we silly? Listen, I'm for going green. Don't misunderstand. I think we ought to take care of our environments, take care of our ecosystems, look for greener energy, all those things. Yes, I'm 100% behind that. But if we think we're gonna save ourselves, that is the height of arrogance. And modern man is incredibly arrogant because we think our hope is in us and only hope is in him. Our hope is in Jesus. And that is why the world is without hope because the world has faith in self instead of faith in God. This church has faith in God, which means they are not without hope. They know where the hope is. And because they have faith in God, they have the hope of God. That means they have the love for other men and women. Where the world is full of self-love in the selfie society, it's all about me living selfishly, oh no, this church is all about others. And if indeed you'll be that kind of a Christian, if we'll be that kind of a church, we will not be barren. Jesus does not want a barren bride. There are a lot of us that have fertility issues spiritually. No, this church does not have fertility issues. She is constantly seeing lives changed by Jesus, men and women being born again as a son or daughter of the living God. That's what Jesus desires, a faithful bride, a fruitful bride. That little girl who came when we were not ready, one day would grow up. I missed her birth, but I was there for the rest of her life. And one day, I don't know when, that little girl is gonna give me grandbabies. (laughs) 
Do you know what God wants from you if indeed you've been born again as a child of God? He wants you to give him other sons and daughters. God, your father, wants more children. He wants you to give him grandchildren. See, this is a bride that's not just turned in. She's faithful. She's fruitful. No, she's not hiding the light. She's shining the light. She's ready, but she's radiant. She is shining the love of God to a dark and dying world. And lives are being changed because of it. And you know what? If you're faithful and fruitful, you can be fearless. Fearless. In this world of uncertainty and anxiety and worry, we can live confidently. You know why? Because we know we win in the end. We know how it ends. And this is what Paul now tells these Thessalonians. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you realize this, Paul just taught something called a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, there's another trending view among Christians called a post-trib rapture that teaches the church goes through the tribulation. Well, Paul just taught here a pre-tribulational rapture that Jesus comes for his bride before the tribulation. And so people will say if they're post-trib, well, that just means, you know, salvation eternally. That just means that Jesus has saved us from sin's penalty. But that's not the context. The context Paul writes this is not the eternal state. The context Paul is writing this is the day of the Lord. Got to put in its proper context. What Paul is saying is the day of the Lord is all about wrath, the judgment of God upon sin and the rebellion of the nations. But you, as a child of God, are not under the wrath of God because Jesus took your wrath upon himself, the wrath that you were due. So he has not appointed us to wrath but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, whether we live or die, we should live together with him. You know what Paul's saying? Either way we win. Whether we live or die, doesn't matter. Either way we live with him. Which means we can comfort each other and edify one another in difficult times, which is what they were doing in the early days. Maranatha, it's gonna be okay. Paradise lost, paradise regained. And while we wait, what do we do? We get ready and we radiate the love of God. Irresistibly ready, irresistibly radiant to those around us those that are near us, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers who desperately need Jesus. Would you bow with me right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed, those of you right now on the line or other campuses in this city, listen, God is trying to get your attention. I didn't have my pager that night. I missed the most important page of my life. This could be the most important page of your life. serious. God's paging you. He's trying to get your attention. 
Some of us are sleeping. He's saying, wake up. Wake up. He's offering salvation. Eternal redemption. Good news. In the middle of all this bad news. I'm about to come down off this platform after the service is over. Somebody here needs to walk this way that's not ready for eternity. You're not ready. You don't know what you would see. Somebody at the other campuses, your campus pastor is going to come off that platform, going to meet you. If you'll make your move, God will make his. Church house leaders, you have people there in your church house that are not ready. If that's you, today is the day to be ready. I'm going to pray for you right now. And if that's you, I want you to take a step this way, wherever you are. Walk toward the front of wherever you are. God will meet you there. Jesus, I pray for every person today under the sound of my voice, wherever they are in the world, that not one person in that church house at the Independence Campus, Blue Springs Campus, Crossroads Campus, right here in Lee Summit, then not one person today would miss the most important page of their life, that they would be ready for the due date, the day that we stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you know him, then you have reason to celebrate. Would you give Jesus the glory with me, guys? Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.